How is everyone this morning? You ready for a, a happy Sunday? It's good to see you all this morning. So glad you're here. Um, last week, Pastor Brad cast vision for this house. Does anybody remember what it was? 40 leaders and 15 life groups. That's right. And so we said that over the next couple of weeks, we were going to be focusing on why this is important. Why, why have 40 leaders? Why have 15 life groups in this house? And, you know, if you know what the global vision of KC is, it's to have 1,200 extensions around the world. Now, that's a a huge uh, vision. It's a huge project. It's it's something that, you know, you look at most churches, they're trying to maintain one. And KC is about expansion into every corner of the earth. And many, many KCs are in hard areas, hard locations where there's a lot of plowing that really has to be done. And so we are about expansion and multiplication. This is a multiplying church. So that's why we have to have 40 leaders in the house. This house has to continually be in a place where we're growing leaders. Because if not, we will never see the, the extensions planted around the world. So Casey, from the very beginning, has always been about uh, growing leaders and sending people out. And, you know, I understand some people might say, well, I'm not, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to, to be an evangelist. I'm not called to be an apostle. Well, that's fine. But you you may be called to be a life group leader. You may be called to make a disciple because everybody that's a Christian has the ministry of reconciliation, the Bible says, which means you are to reconcile people back to God because he is their creator. He is the one that created them. And there are so many people in the world that have no idea who, they're, who they were created by, what their purpose is, and why they're here. And they're trying to find themselves. They're trying to find, why am I here? What is my purpose? What's going on in this life? And they need someone to stand in the gap and say, I can show you. I can bring you to the place where you can meet your heavenly father, the one that created you in your mother's womb from the very beginning. And so they need that person because nobody's going to, no angel's going to come down and do it because that's not the ministry of angels. Angels are there to assist the saints, but they are not there to preach the gospel. Only we can do that. And Jesus is not coming back to preach the gospel. He's already done everything he could do. He gave his life. So say, I am important in the mission of God. And so this morning, I'm going to get into why, why are we casting vision for 15 life groups? Why is that important? Why life groups? But before we start this morning, let's go ahead and, and open up in prayer and just bow our head and, and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this vision. I thank you, Lord, that we have a wonderful group of, of people here in this community and especially in this house right now, Lord, that are saying yes, yes to the vision, yes to, to what you may be calling me to do personally. And Father, we know that Dr. Morocco's word this year was to press on, and that's what we choose to do. We choose to press on. We choose to, to uh, continue to work and to, con to continue to plow, continue to set our sights on 
heavenly things, on the eternal things of God, not on the things of this earth. So we pray today, Father, use us. Speak to every person here today what you would have them do. What is? How are they supposed to align themselves? How are they supposed to, to find their place in this day and in this hour? And we thank you, Father, for answering that prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So why life groups and what is a life group? Well, you may hear some churches call them a cell group or a small group, but really a life group is, is a way that we are able to come together in a small, in a, a small group, usually no more than, than 12 people typically because if you grow too much more than that, I mean, Jesus even chose 12, right? You grow too much more than that, and it starts getting uh, more impersonal. It's not quite as close, and people begin to not open up as much. And so we're going to be shifting some things a little bit in our in our life groups this year. We're going to be uh, hosting a, a life group training at the end of this month on February 26th, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But as a life group, um, one of the things, well, it's always centered around Christ, always. But sometimes we're using life groups as a way to pull people in, and, and it may be focused around an activity, even though Christ is the mission. Many times people don't know that they're actually looking for Christ, but they may join a life group because, hey, I want to go shoot guns, and there's this gun group, and they go and they, they practice shooting, and they go and they hang out, and, and they get coffee, and then they go shoot guns on a, on a Saturday morning or whatever it may be. Or there's this group over here, and, and they get together. These moms get together, and they, they let their kids play at the park, and, and they just encourage one another in the word. Whatever it may be, it's a support to those many times that don't know uh, exactly how to find things in the word or how to grow in the word and you have a, a leader that's leading that and praying with them and it becomes a family it truly becomes a family in fact I was talking to somebody this week and they said you know I really like so-and-so in the church. I haven't really had the chance to get to know them that well. I'd like to, to talk with them a little bit more. It's just hard to do on a Sunday morning. You ever felt that way? I'd like to get to know so-and-so a little bit better. I just feel a connect with them. But it's hard to do on a Sunday morning because we come in and we worship the Lord and our focus is, is on celebrating his name and then we leave and, and go eat lunch or whatever and then come back. But a lot of times we don't get to connect personally. That's what a life group is for, to connect personally with people. So why, why life groups? Let's get into that this morning. Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 40. And while you're, while you're flipping there, uh, Dr. Morocco's son, uh, Pastor Josh Morocco, he, he pastors the extension on Oahu, him and his wife, Pastor Shannon. And he makes this comment that we are a big, small church a big, small church. Because if you think about it, when we have tens of thousands of, of people that are part of Casey congregations around the world, you know, that's a big church. You've got tens of thousands of people all around the world that are part of KC. That's a big church. But we also are in many locations. And then in each one of those locations, there are life groups. 
Because many times people say, well, I want to be part of a small church. I want to be part of a small church because people know you and they care about you. And I get that. But you ever thought that that's kind of selfish? Because once you start thinking of it only when it's about me, then what happens to the rest of the world? And who reaches them if we're only concerned about getting our own needs met, whether it's emotional needs, material needs, whatever it may be? And so we are a big, small church because we are always about growing. We are always about multiplying. We are always about evangelism and reaching out, but we are also about connecting with one another. And we do that in small groups. We do that in life groups. Because when we can come together in a life group, then that provides the smallness. It provides the family. No matter how big this extension gets, you will always have life groups to be able to connect with one another. So that brings the smallness into it. It brings the family into it. But at the same time, you're not losing the great commission of going out and saving the lost. So don't underestimate the power of small. But also, remember, we must keep the big in mind. we got to keep the global vision and the global commission of Christ in mind. And, you know, you think many times... You know, you, you always think, well, you know, what, what difference can a small group make? Like, really, what, what's the big deal? But think about it. If you were standing in an African safari and you saw a huge bull elephant, would you maybe duck behind the bush? I don't, I don't want him to see me. He looks like he's getting mad. He looks like he's ready to charge. And an elephant might be scary, or maybe even a lion. You see a lion, and you definitely are taking cover because you don't want him to see you because you look at a lion as big and powerful, right? He can cause some damage. The guy might kill me. He might come after me. And you look at that lion, and you say, I don't, I don't want him to, to, to see me because that thing is powerful. But did you know that lions only kill 300 people a year? Do you know what kills over a million people a year in the same African continent? Mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. Very small. And most people would run from a lion, but not necessarily a mosquito. And many times we, we underestimate the power of small. The power of, of when something is tiny, uh, what, what good is that? What good can that do? What, how much power does that have? But in a small group, you would be amazed at how much power, how much can happen in a life group in the intimacy of a home environment or a small group environment where people are able to minister specific needs to one another. Because when, when we gather together here, I don't know what's personally going on in your life. I don't always know, like, the issues or the struggles you may be facing. But your life group leader may because they're getting personal. They're talking to you, and they're getting to ask questions, and they're getting to answer some of your questions. So let's get into that. You got Acts 2, verse 40. It says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. That was Peter. And then it says, and those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. All of those things are part of a, a life group. Continued steadfastly. That means on a regular basis. They're continually meeting over t the, the apostles' teaching, the doctrine, over fellowship with one another, and breaking of bread and prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, get this, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. In the temple and from house to house, both. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now it's interesting because all of these things that we implement in a life group, teaching the word of God, prayer, fellowship, getting to know one another. And, of course, most of the time we have food. You know, that's the breaking of bread. And then <laughs> there's the, the continuing daily. And there's the giving of, of needs, the giving of, oh, you need something. You know how many needs are met in a life group? Many times that's where we find out, like, this is going on. That's going on in a group, and needs are met. But I want you to, to turn over to chapter 5 real quick because I want to emphasize this in the temple and from house to house. Chapter 5, verse 42, because that's not the only place that it's mentioned. Acts 5, 42. And daily in the temple... And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now flip over to chapter 20. Verse 20. 2020. This is Paul. And how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. I taught you publicly and from house to house. Both of these are important. Us coming together as a corporate body, as well as meeting from house to house, it's important. Gathering, to, whether it's at a house or a coffee shop, you know, some people say, well, you know, my house, my house is not... Um, I don't have the best parking. I don't have the best uh, situation to, to bring uh, people in. Melanie. Melanie lives a, an hour and 15 minutes away. You know, I don't think most people are going to drive to Ritchie County to go to a life group in Ritchie County necessarily. But we find places to meet. Sometimes it's here. The last women's group that we had, I had it up in the house because I want it to become more personal. And I want things to begin to, to uh, come together in a family-oriented way. And so we, whether it's a coffee shop or here or someone's home, we find places to meet that it's not just as together on a Sunday or Wednesday evening. And, and we're able to talk with one another. Hey, what's going on with your life? What's, what, what are you interested in learning about right now? What's going on with your family? How can I help? How can, how can we dig into the word and find the answer in, in the word? So this morning I want to go through four things. Why life groups? Why life groups? And I want to go through four main reasons why it's important to be plugged into a life group. 
And the first one is discipleship and maturity. Discipleship and maturity. For those of you that have grown in Christ, most of the time you point to someone that has been sowing into your life. Sometimes a person is feeding themselves. I had my mom that sowed a lot of the word into my life, and she taught me. She taught me the word of God from the time that I was, uh, you know, probably about 11 years old because that's when they started going to church. She got hungry for the word of God, and so she started diving in, and then she began to teach me. And so I was learning the word of God from, from that age, and she poured into me the things that she was learning. But then as I got older, I realized I've got I've to learn this for myself. And so I began to read a lot. I was reading books on faith. I was reading books on, uh, you know, supernatural things, the healings and and faith and things that, that came through faith, uh, even, you know, wealth and things like that, that God, God actually wants us to be wealthy. God wants us to have so that we can be a blessing. And not only that, he loves you. And so he wants to bless you because he loves you. You know, it's a concept that, that many people shy away from, but it's, it's covered in the word of God. Every time God spoke or, or pulled someone out of a situation, they never went backwards. They always advanced forward. They always became better. And so as I was beginning to dig in the word of God, I was finding these things out and I began to grow. Well, you find yourself when you get to that place where you're pouring in and pouring in and pouring in, then you find yourself in a place where you can only do that for so long before it starts coming out. And so as this begins to come out, I found myself having a desire to want to do a life group in our home. And so we began to do that. The only thing is it, it didn't last for very long because we were called into, the, into missions. And so, but those people uh, we're still close with in our, in our lives today and we still keep in contact with. Melanie was one of those people that was coming to that life group. And so as you are pouring out, you are impacting other people. See, it, it's, it's not enough for us to think that, well, I can just make it on my own. I can just, I can just figure this out and make it on my own. Because the thing is, what others have learned we can grab a hold of much more quickly if we will allow ourselves to be discipled. It's called impartation. It's a biblical word. Impartation. When we impart into someone else the things that we have already learned and known, the things that we've grabbed a hold of, the things that, that we have maybe been taught ourselves, that discipleship and maturity those are things that, that many times that's where it happens is in a life group. Because the, the thing is, if we're left to ourselves, sometimes we can get some crazy ideas and some crazy thoughts in our mind. And we'll go through that in, in, a, in a little bit. But think about it. When Jesus began his ministry, what did he do? He chose 12, right? He chose 12. Flip over to... Uh, Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. 
but Jesus chose 12 when he began his ministry. Now, it's interesting because same concept. He taught publicly, did he not? He taught masses. He taught thousands. People, in fact, they called, many times people talk about disciples, and they only think the 12. But Jesus had thousands of disciples, people that followed him wherever he went because they were hungry for the things of God. And so they, he, he was teaching them the word of God. He was teaching them the concepts and the principles. But then he selected 12, and he pulled them into his, his circle, and then you see him teaching them the parables. You, you see him teaching publicly, you know, many different concepts and principles, parables. But then he would pull the 12 aside and he would teach them what that meant. They'd say, teacher, what, does, what did that parable mean? Why did you, why was you referring to the sower? Why were you referring to, you know, the seed or the, the wheat and the tares, whatever the parable might have been? And, and he would teach them what it meant. And so who do you think grew the most? The 12. And so whenever he has the last supper before he goes to, to finish his final assignment on the cross, he has this last supper, and who does he pick? Of course, the 12, because he wants those last moments with them, and he wants to pour out the things that are on his heart in those last few hours of his life, things that were going to stick with them later, things that would come back to their remembrance later. He did say that. He, you know, do you remember how, how he, he taught us this and how he showed us that? And so there is 12 that he would pour into intimately. Uh, in fact, he even, there were three that he kept as his closest. And those three were the ones that he taught even more to, Peter, James, and John. And they were, they were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were, they were there in the closest moments. So he was pouring into them. Who impacted the world later? The 12. Why? Because they were closely being discipled. Closely being discipled. What would have happened if he had not chosen those 12? Think about it. If he only taught publicly to the hundreds and thousands, but he never chose the 12. And then he, he goes to the cross, he completes his assignment, he goes to heaven, and then there's no 12. Think about it. They were major influences. They changed nations. They changed history. But it would have looked completely different if he would have said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to keep it public and I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the life group. I'm not going to do the intimate setting. I'm not going to pour into the 12. These moments are so crucial. Discipleship and maturity. Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says he, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Stop there for a second. For the what? For the equipping of ministry or the equipping of the saints. We are to be equipped. 
That's not just apostles, prophets, teachers. The, the job of the, the apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists is to equip the saints. You're a saint. It's not, it's not somebody that, that's, that's a concrete statue on the top of a building. Saint, Saint Paul, Saint Peter, Saint Mary, Saint whatever. The saints are us. We are the saints. We are the ones that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are referred to as the saints in the Bible. And so we are responsible for equipping the saints. Why? For the work of ministry. That means everybody has a work of ministry. Whether it's full-time and, and you quit your job and go into full-time ministry or whether it's I keep my job and I, I stay uh, where I'm at, but I'm ministering to those who are around me. I'm ministering to my friends. I'm ministering to my family. I'm ministering to a small group. I'm ministering to, to uh, somebody down the street that, I, that I've just, God's put them on my heart. And I've just been praying for them. And now I'm beginning to see a breakthrough in that family's life because they've been, been talking to me about things. For the equipping of ministry. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love, so that we could, should no longer be tossed to and fro like children in, in false doctrine, in craftiness, in deceitful doctrine, because those things do exist. And here's the thing. Think about it. Deceit means that you don't know that you're being deceived. That's, that's what happened with Eve. Eve didn't know. She was deceived. She didn't realize what was being told to her was a lie. Adam did. There's a difference. Deceit means that you don't realize you're being, you're, you're being lied to. So that's why we have to be so careful. That's why the body has to come together. Because there are things that will cause deceit in this world. There are things that will cause deceit in the church. Someone sows a seed and then all of a sudden the enemy's playing on that seed and then there's deceit that sets in and you don't realize you're being deceived. It's happened to all of us. That's why it's so important that we are knit together as the body of Christ to avoid these things discipleship and maturity that means that we're going to grow we're going to be discipled we're going to be mature in the things of god that means that the more that we mature the more successful we become it's like the the principles of wisdom that that i've been talking about in the last two sundays and we'll continue on tonight but when you learn wisdom and the principles of wisdom from the word of god the more successful you become in life the less things that happen are, are going going to like cause you to um, tip because as you walk out wisdom 
Like I've already said, you will find wealth, you'll find peace, you'll find faith, you're going to find um, the things of God are coming to pass in your life because you're applying the principles of wisdom. And so the more that we're discipled, the more that we mature in Christ, the less we lose our peace, the less we lose our joy. So discipleship and maturity. The second one, the second one is accountability and safety. Accountability and safety. And I want you to turn over to the book of Philemon. Accountability and safety. Going back to the scenario of the the lion or any kind of prey, think about it. When you have a herd of gazelles or, or deer, when that lion is searching out his meal, who does he go for? The weakest, the one that's sick, the one that's alone by themselves, and the young. Think about that for a minute. One that's been wounded, and, and they're not in with the group because they're wounded. They can't keep up. They've been hurt. One that's also sick, that can also be sick like I've been affected in, in my understanding. One that's young, young in the faith, young in the things of God. So when that lion, which the enemy prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he prowls about searching for the one. When you, when you look at that, that safari, when you look at that scene and all the animals stay close together in a herd, but that lion picks out one that's right over there by himself when the herd's over here. He does that for a reason because they are an easier catch. And he'll go after the one that's by themselves. So when we prompt and encourage you to be part of the body of Christ, it's not because we ourselves are wanting numbers. That's not why. Because we know that there's safety in being part of the family, being part and being close-knit as part of the family, the body of Christ. Because when we are alone, we become prey to the enemy. We have a, a situation kind of like that in Philemon, and I wanted to read through that real quick. Philemon only has one chapter, so I want you to pick up at verse 10. And here Paul is writing to Philemon. And Philemon is actually heading the church, the um, Colossian church of Colossae. So he's writing to Philemon and he's saying, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but is now profitable to you and me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. 
For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul's writing here to Philemon because he had a situation where he had this guy <coughs> who was a slave of, of Philemon. He was a, a servant of Philemon. And Onesimus had ran off because he had stolen something from his master. And so now he owes his master. And, of course, his master is, is trying to search him out, find him. Well, Onesimus takes off and he goes to Rome, which is where Paul was being kept in chains. So we don't know if, if he ended up also in prison. We don't know. But somehow he comes across Paul. Now, whether or not he searched Paul out and already knew Paul from, uh, from Philemon, from being connected with uh, Philemon, or he ends up meeting him in prison, we do not know. But either way, he comes across Paul, and Paul begins to minister to him and, and leads him to the Lord. And so now Onesimus is being... Uh, He's grafted in now. He's, he's a child of God now, and he's been discipled by Paul. But he's got this thing on his back, right? He's got this problem because the guy I used to work for, the guy I was a slave for, could technically put me in jail if I, he could actually have me stoned if I go back home. And so Paul, what he's doing is restoring him. And he's writing to Philemon and saying, listen, Onesimus, I know he stole from you. I know what he did was wrong. But since he's been in my care and since I've discipled him, he is now being restored. I consider him a son to me. I consider him to be someone of great value to you. So I'm asking, don't just receive him back as a slave, but receive him back as a brother as you would receive me. And he's restoring him because Onesimus was in a situation where he, he got off track. He did something wrong. He strayed. But Paul's restoring him back. And he's doing everything that he can do for, for Philemon to receive him back as a brother in Christ and to love him. Because love covers the multitude of sins. So what is he doing? He's not blasting and saying, okay, guys, I want you to take note of this guy right here. He did some major things wrong. This is what you don't do as a Christian, okay? He didn't do that. He covered him in love and said, restore him. Receive him back. Not just as a slave. In fact, even more as a brother. Because he has been a great help to me. In fact, uh, a little bit of extra history. It's very probable that this same Onesimus later took on the church of Ephesus after Timothy died. Because there was a bishop named Onesimus that took on the church later after Timothy. And he was later martyred for his faith. What would have happened if Paul would have disregarded him? What would have happened if he just would have been like, yeah, you, you owe Philemon. You owe your master, and, and you, know, you deserve to be in prison. You deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here because I'm proclaiming Christ, and I'm doing good things, but you, you really did bad things. But he didn't. He restored him. 
And that's what life groups, that's what discipleship does. It restores us. There are times when we can get off track. There are times that, that people are going through hurtful situations. There are times when they have questions to ask. I'm sure there have been times when you've sat there and said, what in the world did Pastor Miranda mean whenever she said this, this, and this? Because that upset me. And, you know, it may have been that you didn't know my personality well enough and you're like, and you need to go ask your life group leader, Minister Mara, you know, pastor said this and this, it made me mad. And then Minister Mara, who knows me a little bit better, said, oh, that's just, that's just her. That's her sense of humor. And this is really what she meant. And then immediately the offense is dissolved. You see what I'm saying? There's protection in that because we all have the opportunity to get offended. We all have the opportunity to get our, st our toes stepped on. We all have the opportunity to get mad or upset about something or to misunderstand something. Well, I didn't understand what, what she was meaning when she preached on this. Can you answer this question for me? That's what those life groups oftentimes do because it clarifies things that maybe we're not completely clarified because we're not perfect. We do the best we can, but there are going to be times when your situation isn't exactly what I was talking about, but you took it as exactly what I was talking about. And so therefore, you know, you thought, well, I was targeting. You see what I'm saying? It happens all the time in churches. And over one instance, someone gets pulled out and derailed for the rest of their life. What, what if he would have allowed that to derail him off of his Christian walk for the rest of his life? And the impact that he would have had, he didn't because he allowed it to derail his Christian walk, his life. And so there is safety. There's accountability in a life group, misunderstandings get cleared up, questions get answered, offenses are dissolved, and people that begin to lose their way, they're surrounded by a family that helps them through that and can help answer those questions. Number three, care. There is care in a life group. How many times does the word of God say to care for one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to submit to one another, to strengthen one another, to comfort one another? How are we supposed to do that if we don't know one another? If we're never around one another? If this is all it is right here and then you leave, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we comfort? How do we care? How do we, how do we strengthen? How do we encourage? If this is all it is right here is a one Sunday, a one Sunday thing, come in, check it off, and leave. And I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't get to know anybody. I don't know anybody in the church. It's because life groups provide that opportunity. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12 25 and 26 says there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one, anoth one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The purpose of a life group is to be able to care. 
How many times needs get met? How many times comfort is provided in those life group settings because there, it, it is a family? In fact, a life group leader ultimately is a type of shepherd over that group. They're making the phone calls. They're, they're calling. If you have gotten a phone call or a text uh, from any of the leaders in, in this house, good. That's what, that's what they should be doing. From us, it's because if we know something is going on with you, we, we want to make, or if we haven't seen you, we check on you because it is a house that cares. It's part of our purpose. We experience life with people, power, and purpose. Part of that is the people part because God cares about people. Yes, we meet in a building, but he cares about the people, not the building. The building is just the avenue that we come together and meet in. But he cares about the people, the heart of people, the situations, the things that they're going through. And so as, you know, think about it. So many times people think, well, you know, pastor should have done this. Pastor should have done that. And I, I feel for pastors sometimes because the th if they have a church of 200, it can very easily get maxed out if they have no other leaders helping in this area. If they have a church of 100, they can get maxed out. Because if they've got no one to fill the slots of a, a life group leader, how well do you think that pastor is going to do at meeting all and everybody's emotional needs, their hurts, their misunderstanding, their offenses, their, the, the issues, the prayer that they might need, the family situations? How well? How well is, is he going to be able to take care of that? That's why Jesus chose 12 and not 1,200. Because we cannot humanly take care of a ton of people effectively. So he gives us the plan of a family. That was God's design. He created things to be in family units. So as the body of Christ, that's what we do. We create family units so that people can be connected. And if we don't get connected then how, how is the church? In fact, that's, that's why there's safety in that. Because when we're connected with a group, then that means that person is looking out for you. They have a tab on whether or not you, you've been around or haven't been around. If you've uh, been going through some things that you need extra prayer for, they have a tab on that. That's why life group leaders are so instrumental in the body of Christ. If someone chooses not to get involved, then it makes it very difficult to care for, for those that, that choose to stay, stay disconnected because it's easy for them to get lost in the shuffle because they haven't put themselves under discipleship, accountability, and leadership. The last one. Gifts. Gifts become known in a life group. And I'm going to have you turn over to Acts again. Acts chapter 6. Are you staying with me? Acts chapter 6. Gifts become known in a life group. Let's start at verse 1. 
And it says, now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the 12, again, talking about the 12 apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then they chose six more. Skip down to verse 7. And it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now, it's interesting because what happened here? Things were, I think sometimes people look at, look at the book of Acts and they read the book of Acts and think, oh, just love to be in the early church. They had no problems. They were always like full of the Holy Spirit and they never argued about anything. If you read the book, uh, even through uh, the New Testament, you find there were issues between the apostles. There were disputes sometimes that they had to figure out. There were things that they had to, to sit down and talk about and figure out the foundational principles of the early church. But it's interesting. What happened here, you had, you had the church growing, but some of the, the uh, widows were being overlooked. The Greek-speaking widows were not getting the daily distribution of food that the Hebrew widows were getting. And so there was this problem, and, and um, Peter is going, well, you know, we have, we have an issue at hand. But it's not good for us to uh, neglect the word of God and prayer to make sure that all the distribution is getting done right. So pick seven men full of faith and wisdom in the Holy Spirit and put them over this job, put them over this task. One of the men was Stephen. Now it's interesting because if Stephen would not have been discipled, because it said that he was being discipled, if he was not part of being discipled, he would have never been chosen. His gifts would not have been seen. And so you, you see them choosing Stephen plus six others. But what if Stephen would have sat there and said, no, I have, you know, my giftings are way above serving food. You know, I, I have more to offer than distributing food. But you know what Stephen did? Because I'm imagining this in, in reality. I'm thinking Stephen probably was very thankful for the opportunity and he'd been filled with the word of God, and he'd been being discipled, and then he's excited about this opportunity, and he begins to distribute food to the widows, and then he notices that this widow here has, has a, a, an arm that's lame, and, and he says, oh, auntie, here's some food. Can I pray for your arm? And boom, he, she gets a healing. She, she got her food, and then she got her healing. 
And then there's things that begin to come out in, in Stephen's life that he is showing himself to be full of the Holy Spirit. And it says that many signs and wonders were done by Stephen. His natural abilities and supernatural things of faith were beginning to come out of his life. And his leadership giftings began to show. Where? Because he was being discipled. Now, there's, there's a ton of disciples but the thing is, for whatever reason, he was picked because of his wisdom and because he was full of faith. These things oftentimes get highlighted in small groups. Why? Because when we're in a small group and someone says, oh, can you open up in prayer? Oh, can you do this? Can you lead this song? Oh, can you? And, and you know how to cook that? That is awesome. And your giftings begin to shine. Do you care to cook at the at the the Valentine's banquet and make homemade cheesecake for everybody? <laughs> but the things that you have to offer begin to shine more in a small group than in a corporate setting. And the leadership begins to develop in your life. Why? Be because think of this. On a Sunday morning, there's only so many people working to make Sunday morning happen. But on a life group setting, the audience is much smaller. And when Pastor Brad chooses a guy at men's meeting and says, hey, why don't you share next week? These are opportunities that he's giving because he wants people to be trained up in the things of God. He wants to give teaching opportunities. When he says, hey, can you open up in prayer? And the person's like, well, I've never done that before. Yeah, I know. Can you do that today? Why? Because he wants you to begin to grow. Because the life group leader wants you to grow and to stretch yourself and to exercise these things. Why? So that you don't remain in the same place five years from now. I was, I was listening to a story the other day. It was a lady. She, she was leading a life group, and she, she began to bring this person along as her assistant. And the lady was like, yeah, but I don't ever want to be a leader. I don't want to be a leader. I can't. That's not me. You ever say that? That's not me. And she's like, that's fine. All I need you to do is each week she would have her do something different. Can you just set up the chairs for me? Uh, can you make sure that, that you call so-and-so this week and, and remind them of the meeting? Can you, uh, can you bring such-and-such such this week? And so they end up going so many weeks with that life group close it out, and then she relaunches a different one. She, she goes into another one. Hey, do you want to be my assistant again? Oh, no, I don't, I don't want to be a leader. That's okay. You can just help me, okay? She goes through this about three times. And this person that never has a desire to be a leader ends up about the fourth time in the position of leading but not in name. She doesn't want to be a leader, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the lesson. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can call. Yeah, I can, I can make sure that everybody is called and, and that they're reminded. And then next thing you know, she's leading with an assistant herself. What she never saw herself doing, but someone saw the potential in her. Someone said, yes, you can. I believe in you. You may not believe in yourself right now, but I know that as time goes on and you're being molded and these things begin to take root in you, you've got things inside you that you don't even believe in yet, but I do. 
I do. I do believe in it, and I believe that you're going to begin to walk these things out in your life. You may not see it yet, but part of being a life group leader is to see the potential in other people, to pull that potential out and to stretch them. So if your life group leader stretches you a little bit, thank them. Don't say, no, quit doing that to me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for stretching me. Because in life groups, that's where leaders are made. And, you know, honestly, being a, a life group leader, being an assistant, that's where people grow the most. A lot of times people think it's, it's the ones sitting there listening. The ones that grow the most are the ones that are leading. Because they put the study time in. They put the time in that it takes to grow the leadership ability. They're the ones, even if they don't feel like it, they're making the phone calls. They're, they're, they're uh, diligent, and they're making the meetings, and they're, they're making sure it's a priority. So they're growing in their character. They're growing in diligence. They're growing in the things of God, and they're growing in the word of God. So it's always the, the leaders that are growing the most. So if you want to grow the most, then say, yes, use me. I'm willing. I'm willing. So to close out this morning, you know, one of the things that, that we will be doing is, is life group training because we want people to uh, be trained. We understand that it especially in this area, there have been some concerns because people have seen church splits and things like that um, because of, of life groups or small groups. That's why we offer training, because there are things that you can implement in a small group. There are things that you can implement in a life group that completely protects uh, those divisive things from happening. There are ways that you can begin to implement certain techniques in your life group to protect it, to make sure that those things are not happening. And that's why we, we make sure that, that life group leaders are loyal to the, the word of God and the house of God. But one of the things that we will be doing on February 26th is having a life group training, and that is at 10.30 a.m. I want uh, to make sure that everybody has the opportunity. If you ever think that, yes, I, wanna, I want to consider it, I want to consider possibly being a, a life group leader or an assistant. An assistant is one that's, that's willing to assist or even a host. You know what a host does? They say, oh, you know what? I don't necessarily want to leave, but I would like to offer my home. Someone else can lead in my home. I'll provide the home, I'll provide uh, the, the place for people to meet, but someone else can lead. Because not everybody has the best uh, home situation or parking to be able to, to uh, you know, bring everybody in. But we work together to make these things happen. So if you are interested in doing that, then put that on your calendar. We'll, we'll make sure that we will be um, continuing to announce that. But I, I just want to leave you with those four things today. If you've ever thought, eh, you know, why? why? Why is it important to be involved in a life group? Those four reasons are very important because it keeps you plugged in. It puts you in a family. There's accountability and safety. There's care. There, there's the, the growing into leadership, growing as a leader. And those are things that we want to make sure that we're implementing in this house because as more and more people come in, 
we're going to have to have more and more leaders. Amen? It's going to take more and more people on deck, more and more people that are willing to say, I will be used. I'll be someone that, that trains other people, that disciples other people, that, that I may not know everything, and that's okay. You don't have to. But God has changed your life, and he has done things in your life. And we can give you curriculum to you so that you don't have to know everything. But we want you to be able to be equipped. Minister Lee, how can you come to the keyboard? please. It's one of the reasons why we set up the Connect uh, station over here is because we want to be able to provide a place where people can come and say, hey, which life groups do you have? You know, what, what do you have available? How often are they meeting? And, and Minister Mara's got all of that. She's got it ready to hand out. It, it's you know, whether it's men's or young men's, young adults, uh, women's, we've got transformation, we've, and we've got things that are upcoming. Because one of my desires, I would really like to, to begin to see a, a marriage life group for marriages. And as people get a desire to teach certain things, then those things will be provided. But we want to be able even for families, to be able to provide family situations where, you know, I, I don't have a place to leave my kid, so can I bring my kid? And, and it's more of a family life group. We, we had uh, that in our house. There was kids all over the place, you know, because <laughs> we, we had families and then we homeschooled and our friends homeschooled. And so there, it was nothing for 15 kids to, to be in the house. But you know what? We had trained our kids enough by that point that, that Zane at that point at age 10, 11 started leading a kid's life group. While we were leading the, the adults, Zane was leading the kids. And so it provided opportunity. Guess what? Training. Training. It's because even from a young age, children can begin to learn leadership and learn what it means to teach the Word of God and to walk in the things of God. It doesn't matter how old. It doesn't matter if it's, well, it, it wasn't perfect. That's okay. He perfects us. He grows us. He's in ministry today, but it's because there were opportunities for him to grow. So that's what we desire. We desire for people to have opportunities to grow.